Well, hello to all my listeners and welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm Clarissa Christensen and I am excited today because we're going to be talking about something called, well, making sense of menopause. And I'm sure lots of us will be going, please help me. (laughs) But I have an excellent guest with me today and someone who I do strongly knows a lot about how to make sense of this time of life and to guide other women who are experiencing this life transition. She's Susan Wilson. She is a renowned women's health practitioner and certified nurse. And she is about to let out her book, Making Sense of Menopause, in February, all about harnessing the power and potency of your wisdom years. So I can't wait to say welcome, Susan, to the show. Oh, thank you, Clarissa. I'm really happy to be here with you. I'm delighted. Well, we might just start about why this book and maybe why now? (laughs) Well, um, I have been working with women now for about 44, 45 years. I'm a nurse midwife, so I've worked through all phases of women's life and, and really see how each phase that we go through, one fits into the other. There's a pattern, there's, there's purpose to it. And, um, the last 20 years, I've been working with women exclusively during the time of the menopausal transition. And I just feel like there's so many myths that women have absorbed from our culture about who we're supposed to be and what this time of life is supposed to be. And yet still, even in 2022, we're not talking about it that much. And when we do talk about it, it's still with a sense of, oh God, here it comes. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to get through it? And almost as if it's something completely new that is happening to us. And yet I like to remind people that, you know, you've got this, you've been through these transitions before. And they're, they're always challenging because they literally turn us into new creatures. Our hormones powerfully change our brains, our bodies, everything about us. And while in puberty, we're still kind of too young to be putting it together. We just feel like we're in this spin cycle and, you know, you eventually drop out of that and find your feet. Um, women who have become pregnant in their lives, find that that literally transforms them. Their body is not their own that they're living in. And it's something similar happening here. We're really being turned into elders in a sense. Not that that means that we're old, but the whole reason and tasks of this time of life um, are very different than the reproductive years. And so Yes, it can be challenging. It's like being in a chrysalis and being melted down before we come back out again, because in the same way that a caterpillar and a butterfly have exactly the same DNA, they're very different creatures and they look different. They act different. They have different longings, different destinies. Same thing happens to us. And I just I like to remind women, you've done it before. You'll be able to do it now. 
em embrace this. This is actually a very positive time of life. You're going to see so many benefits from it. Don't be afraid. <laughs> you know, I, I'm so loving that whole sense that you're bringing, that this is part of a bigger journey that we, mm -hmm. you know, we really, you know, see it. And I think what we've done is kind of isolated bits of women's lives uh, yes. rather than, as you say, see this as a, a river that's flowing through. And at times it is a little turbulent and certainly menopause is for us. But yes, that sense that we have been building up to it and it is very powerful. Yes, and I, I really have seen working with women during this time how really important it is that we be able to tell our stories, not only for, you know, educating other women and making it more clear what's happened, but for our own lives as well, because this really is a time of integration. And it's a time that if we really can follow the breadcrumbs of our own life about how our identity as a woman formed and whose voices went into telling us who we were and, you know, find out what's authentic for us now, then we can make choices going forward that really um, show so much that this is the harvest of our life. You know, this is when we get to, you know, pluck that juicy fruit and eat it and then plant the seeds for the next generation, really give our gift to the world and it's really so exciting when we embrace that yeah definitely in the book i mean the book and i am saying to my listeners that this podcast is going to come out you know just a few <laughs> weeks before the book launches and it's beautifully structured and i love the way that you put the book into four key sort of parts if we like um and we're going to delve into one of them but for the, for the listeners, talk about really the four, the four key sort of threads or, or bigger chunks that you put the book together into. Well, the, the first part of the book, I, it, it seems counterintuitive, but the story really begins at the beginning. And so I really wanted to talk about um, how we become male and female in the womb and what that means and that it's not such a cut and dried either or thing. And then I move on through, you know, puberty and the reproductive years and menstruation and then perimenopause, because that's when a lot of women start having symptoms and feeling like, whoa, I wasn't expecting this. And what does it mean? And go into areas of how we can make that transition easier. So we talk a lot in the book about, you know, how to ameliorate symptoms, how to even prevent them from happening in the first place, and then move into talking about, you know, the menopausal transition as well. So the whole physical, biological arc of it comes first. And then I really like to talk about um, relationship and attraction and how we first um, come into being with another human being and what is it hormonally that drives that and what changes in that when we get to menopause, how our relationships change, how our sexuality changes, ways that we can embrace that and make it better for ourselves. Because um, 
in a lot of ways, because the hormones of reproduction have settled down and that's not the primary driving force in our bodies, we really have a time here where we can really explore our sexuality and see, oh, well, what is that when it's not tied to reproduction? And a lot of women find that um, they go on a different journey than they thought they might have, that, you know, they become curious, they explore. Some women even take a break, you know, they figure out what, what brings me pleasure, what because many women have never had the opportunity to even explore their own pleasure in their life. So there's a, a piece of that. And then I like to go into the transition of the to the wisdom years and what the role of those years is and about giving our gift and mentoring those who come behind us. And essentially that we're the wisdom keepers in a lot of ways. And we've seen this in tribal societies as well. And I do believe that the world needs the voices of mature women right now more than ever. And so I'm really hoping that um, women will embrace this and really find out authentically who they are now, what their voice is, and begin to put that into practice in, in the world. Indeed, indeed. And you said something very true there, Susan. You said we need wisdom voices right now. Uh, as I was listening earlier in the car to a podcast that said, in times of crisis, our biological brain, you know, our, our old <laughs> brain switches in and we choose powerful men and it's not serving us anymore. So, no, we no. see where it's brought us, <laughs> what it's well, brought us to. Yeah, very, yeah. very apt that we're recording this on the 6th of January. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, <laughs> indeed. And a very pertinent message, I think, there. But we wanted to circle back in our conversation to talk about sexuality and relationships. Okay. Um, because that, for me, I think is an area that you and I both working with women know is an area of uh, immense opportunity for change, but also an area that brings quite a lot of tension, I think, for yes. many, many women. Um, so one of my questions is I love how you started that section by looking at our younger selves. How does the way that our sexual identity is formed have a, and play a role in menopause? Mm -hmm. um, I believe that everything that goes into creating our identity as a woman and how we feel about ourselves comes into play again at menopause because everything's kind of thrown up in the air to reform a new pattern. And some of those messages come from very, very early in our lives because when we're very young and our analytical brain hasn't really come online yet, we literally download information as if it's the truth. And so we've already taken on a lot of perhaps messages about ourselves and perhaps distortions by long before we even go into puberty. And in our culture in particular, sex is used to sell everything. And many, many teenagers are growing up and young, 
younger than teenagers. Girls are getting their periods early. They're having boy-girl dances in the fourth grade, which I find kind of horrifying. Mm -hmm. But um, they get a lot of their messages from Hollywood, from movies about, you know, what it is you're supposed to be as a woman, what sex is supposed to look like. Um, And then, of course, we have our first experiences when we're young with often with people who are inexperienced themselves and insecure and want to um, kind of buffer their own insecurity by telling us there's something wrong with us. And so, you know, many all of this still lives in our bodies and it still lives in our relationships. And I found that so many women. when they're being sexual or self-observing the whole time because they're wanting to make sure, you know, they look right or that they're doing it right or um, trying in a way to be something that may not be who they are at all. Because um, in film, whether it be generic Hollywood or porn or whatever, Um, It's usually the male perspective and the male libido that is played out. And so women are made to look like they're always hot to trot. They're always on. And um, it always happens fast and hard. And, you know, while that may be true for some women and it may be true sometimes for all women, um, it's generally not the way the female body responds best, nor um, the way we're wired in our brains to, you know, it's relational for us. You know, men are very visually wired by nature, which makes sense. You know, you see it, you want it, you have it, and it spreads your seed more widely. But for women, um, the connection needs to be there. We need to feel safe, connected and seeing for us to really open fully to being sexual with someone. So all of these early experiences and early messages um, really get thrown up again when we're in menopause and in that transition and uh, find that the old ways of doing things just don't work anymore. <laughs> no, and in the book, I mean, you had a statistic and I was like, wow, I think it was in that 3% of women are actually kind of comfortable and okay with their bodies. And that is incredibly low, isn't it? Yes. Um, I mean, we, my generation um, was raised on the Barbie doll. So uh, that's what was put forward as the female ideal. And then, of course, every year, the models get younger, they get um, more prepubescent, they get thinner. It's, it's just not a realistic model um, for what female bodies look like. And yet that is the standard to which um, most young girls and women feel like they need to fit. And like you say, about 3% of us actually have those kind of bodies. <laughs> the rest of us are just out of luck. No, and, and, and I think sometimes for that plays into the immense change that we physically experience in, in perimenopause. I mean, we do yes. put on weight and we yes. never go back to be, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I never go back to being the same size that I, that mm-hmm. I was, or, or maybe more rightly the same shape is maybe mm-hmm. more correct. And, and that's what we, and I think that then becomes quite a, a disjoint between 
society and and where we are. Yes, it really does, and about how well we feel about ourselves as well. And that that's one thing about so many of the books that are out there around menopause that I find um, objectionable is that, you know, it's like follow these 10 steps and it'll be like you're 30 again. You'll have your life back. You can move backwards toward more youthfulness, it, that youthfulness that looks a certain way. And yet that's really not going to happen. And so women, uh, you know, they buy the books really being hopeful and go through the 10 steps and it doesn't happen for them. And they feel like they failed again in this sense of despondency comes through. So I, I really wanted to put out there a different framework to reframe this a little bit. No, we're, you're right. We're not going to be going backwards anymore. And there's a lot to love about where we are. And until we start, I think, sharing our stories and hearing the experiences of other women and seeing how very powerful we are at this time of life, then we can begin to equate our changes in shape and things like that with something very powerful. Now, that's not to say we don't want to be healthy. We do want to be healthy into our uh, wisdom years. And so it is important to uh, eat well and to move and to use your body. You want your body to be functional, not necessarily to look like you're 30. <laughs> <laughs> there, is so, a, there is a big Although that would a, be nice sometimes. Well, sometimes, yes. But I, but I definitely think that, that that is the message. And I think that too often health has become equated or yes. equated with thin. Yes, and, and that that message is now spreading sadly into other cultures as well. Yes, where maybe that's not the 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 norm or their past history, nor maybe even possible for some ethnicities to follow a Western model. Where absolutely, you know, not, you know it just isn't. I'm having worked in places like the Pacific Islands and with the mm -hmm. indigenous women in Australia. They they do not fit our Western model, and yet that's being imposed and is, is even harder for any woman to achieve, really, mm -hmm. without a lot of pain. Yeah, and they're gorgeous. These, when you look at what female, I mean, they're gorgeous. And, yes, it's very, very sad that we've, we've allowed, and it's been going on for quite a long time. If you look back at Victorian times and what women were, <laughs> you know, yes. went through to, you know, get a certain shape and things like that. We've been doing it for a long time because we have allowed um, the message that our value has to do with the way we look and our ability to reproduce. And yet the role of women in culture's time out of mind has been so much more than that. Yes. And our culture throws away people as they age, when they really have the most wisdom, the most ability to see the long arc in time. And in many indigenous cultures, it is the elder females that make the decisions. They decide when they go to war. They decide who marries who. They, you know, hold the history of their people so they can see further than those that are 
young and full of hormones and all reactive <laughs> and can make better decisions. And that was recognized. But yes. sadly, in our culture, it's not. We've lost a lot of that. One of the areas that comes up a lot in both probably our respective work and also in media is this shift in libido. Yes. And, and that that can cause tension, I think, between males and females. Oh, yes. Tell me a little bit, and I know you subscribe to some Jungian expressions as well, so I, I was intrigued by all of that. But talk a little bit more about this mismatch between what men and female needs are like in this time of perimenopause. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, as you say, I really do kind of... Um, subscribe more to the way Jung looked at libido, which is overall life force and aliveness, not necessarily just sexual desire. And um, I would say the huge majority of women that come into my office have issues with saying, you know, that they have no libido anymore. And often it's causing problems in their relationship. And when we begin to explore that, it becomes clear that it's not just sexual desire that is low in their life, but it is their life force and their aliveness and their interest. And I think it's hard to reach midlife um, in our culture as women without being exhausted, really, <laughs> because we have not only been... Um, often raising children and working full-time jobs and managing a household and all of those things. But, you know, the, the sameness of it, the, the fact that you need to just keep moving because if you ever stop, you won't get back up again. Um, you know, that sameness um, tends to start constricting people as well. And I believe also that in our cultures, we have come more and more to live on parallel tracks with our partners rather than living a shared life. You know, we have separate jobs with separate deadlines, separate schedules, separate things that are occupying our mind. And often the only time we're in close enough physical proximity to our partner to think about engaging at sex is at the end of the day when, you know, we're exhausted. So, for men and the way their brains are wired, that works better because it's more visual and they they get their relaxation and their sense of connectedness from the surge of oxytocin, our love hormone, mm -hmm. that comes out when you have sex. For women, as we've mentioned before, you know, the brain is more wired to need that connection first before you're really open to it. So at the end of a long day... <laughs> you're not, you're going to have a big mismatch there. You know, the man may want it. The woman may be exhausted and go, mm, sorry, it just feels like one more thing on my to-do list. It, I can't really get there right now. And so oftentimes I think what causes the tension is not only that um, sexual desire may not be being played out, but also just the lack of communication and that we really don't know what's going on with our partners. So um, I talk to the women I work with a lot. If, you know, the end of the day is not the right time, 
find another time. See if you can manage a morning or an afternoon or getting away for a weekend or something. But first, what you need to have is that sense of connection again. And for many couples at Midlife, um, they, in the same way that we have parallel tracks in our lives, sex becomes an experience that's not a shared experience either. Even when you have it, it becomes more of an internal experience for each person um, rather than, you know, exploring something together because they've stopped communicating in the way that they used to. So I think it's critical if a couple, whether it's a man and a woman or a woman and a woman, critical that they be communicating with with each other what's going on with them because honestly men go through an andropause in the same way women go through a menopause they are um, pressured culturally to appear in a certain kind of macho way as well Mm -hmm. and so um, I found the couples that really navigate this well are the ones that are talking to each other they're each sharing this is what's going on with me and you know, it doesn't really have anything to do with you. It has to do with where I am right now. And if the couples make a commitment to stay in the room with each other while they explore and go through this transition, and I think another piece is creating shared goals together, something they can work on together that moves them forward into the next part of their lives. And they usually end up navigating this um, much better. Yeah, because it, it, some of it is this drop of libido is short term, but some of it does last into postmenopause because of physiological changes. Yes, and I think it's really important that women understand why the physiologic changes are happening because the body always wants to move toward health and the body always wants to thrive and it's very intelligent. And I've often found that, you know, if we take the time to talk about what your body's trying to accomplish and why this is happening, then a woman can get on board with it and try to work in the same direction. And often what causes physically, what causes the libido to tank are stress levels. And um, women often don't even realize how stressed they are because we're so used to just putting one more thing on our plate and dealing with it. You know, I have a lot of people come in and they mark off their stress level, not so bad. But when you start to explore what's going on, you know, they're not getting enough sleep, they're running on caffeine, they're always go, go, go. There's no downtime and no balance to that. So nature is always going to prioritize survival over reproduction because nature does not want you to be pregnant if you're exhausted because it's a state that uses a lot of energy. So our hormones are set up in such a way that if we're stressed, all of our hormones are based on the cholesterol molecule and then they change into estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, cortisol, whatever, by just, you know, changing out a few of their peripheral things like an oxygen here and a hydrogen there. So hormones can change back and forth into each other as the body needs them, which is really quite beautiful if you look at it. Um, But when we're under stress, nature makes all of our hormone production tilt towards survival hormones. 
And therefore, um, even if we're low in sex hormones and need them, we're not going to get them because the body's going to prioritize that survival. So if we don't have enough sex hormones because of the stress, our libido is going to tank for physical reasons. Yes. And when I hear you listening to that, quite often I hear women being given advice, which is good advice, lubricate and take hormone therapy and it'll all be fixed. But in fact, the aspect of stress isn't really discussed enough within perimenopause. So I really love that we're having this conversation to realize mm-hmm. that, you know, you're right. We are always going to prioritize survival. It's, it's, wired into us from when we first you know sort of stood up and walked as right you know and and so I think that that really approaches how we approach getting our our life communication bringing the stress down getting enough sleep is of course then going to support our other biological functions and in fact I would say as unsexy as it sounds one of the best things you can do for yourself to prepare for menopause is get your stress in hand, create a rhythm in your life, find a balance and work on your adrenal health. And there are many types of providers out there that can help you do that. Because if you go into perimenopause and menopause with healthy adrenals and a balanced kind of stress lifestyle, um, you may not have any symptoms at all. And I've seen this over and over for the women who are proactive and decide to come in and talk about menopause prior to being in the thick of it. You're able to put these, you know, building blocks in place so that by the time they go through menopause, they don't have an issue. But most people come in when they're right in the thick of it, and then you have to start where you are, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think that's very sound advice and one that I, I've also, you know, been giving is the role, the mm-hmm. role of stress because it, the knock-on effect on, yes. every, on everything is massive. Yes, it is. One of the other things you say is that it is really okay to take a break from sex, to have a period of celibacy. And I would mm-hmm. concur with that. I actually had five years. I haven't shared that with you before. Mm-hmm. I had five years of celibacy mm-hmm. um, just because I really felt that there were other things that I needed to personally prioritize. But when I read that in the book, I felt very validated. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so thank you for that, Susan. But, but a little bit about that, the rationale mm-hmm. that you put that, why you put that mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's very different for different people. And many women do find that they're just not feeling like they want to go there right now because you are emerging into this new state. And part of what happens during menopause is that the form of estrogen that kind of drives the reproductive cycle, estradiol, that estrogen starts to come down in its levels and levels of estriol, which is a weaker acting estrogen and the one that is highest when we're pregnant, that comes up and they stimulate different parts of the brain. The estradiol kind of stimulates the part of the brain that makes you want to make babies, nurture everything in sight and allows you in a way to 
put aside the things you have to do in order to nurture and raise children. It kind of buffers that a little bit for you. And so when that comes down and the creative centers are stimulated, a lot of women want to go with that. They're so excited to feel that sense of creativity again. And all of their um, focus is not on partnership or having more sex. And part of it, too, is that um, many women will take a period of celibacy to really find out what their own pathway to pleasure is and what they really want out of sex for the rest of their lives. And for many people, that's quite different than it was um, beforehand. Many women reach that point in life without even really knowing what their own pathway to pleasure is, what really brings them there. And it's important to, you know, take the time to really discover that. And some women find they don't want to be um, living with someone anymore. They want to have more casual relationships or relationships where they get to keep their own, you know, space and their own home and their own um, environment and leave that place to go out and have relationships. So it's it's a time when, um, as in many areas of our lives, we can really uh, look at what's authentic for us now. But um, that transition, and especially if a woman takes uh, some time apart to be celibate when she's in a partnership or a marriage, it's really key that the communication be good yes. at that point. Yes. And um, because otherwise, often there there are ruptures. It's when the when a partner has been used to us been nurturing for so many years, and then all of a sudden we're wanting something for ourselves. This is when a lot of partnerships fall apart and marriages fall apart because they're used to it. They want it. They don't understand. They take it personally, and it's understandable. All of that is understandable. Those yes. feelings, but if we don't communicate about them, then we're lost. No, and I think that's what gets reflected in the high divorce rates, in the tensions mm-hmm. um, at this time of life, because we're not used to communicating, are we, Susan, about our wants and our needs? No, we're not. <laughs> Certainly not in my generation. We were not trained to. Um, to even recognize our needs a lot of times, much less um, stand for them. And I think that's even true with today's perimenopausal women, that there is a a sense that they should, but we still fall back on patterns that are ingrained and trained into us. Yes. And combined with our biology, suddenly there we are doing the serving, the, you know, coming home from a, a corporate job, changing your clothes and putting, mm-hmm. putting on your other uniform and starting to cook meals and care for that. Because otherwise the statistics on, you know, women still doing 60% of all household duties, not 60% yes. of that, but everything, worrying whether you've got the car insurance fixed <laughs> in the middle of the night, you know, wouldn't happen. So, yeah. again, I think that, yeah, and we get to very minimals, we're like, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this exactly. anymore. And it, and it and it's a shock for partners and and our yes. rest of our, and if we have children, it's a shock for them too. They wonder where did my mother go? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, 
I, so many menopausal women just go, if not now, when, you know, they recognize that, um, you know, here we are in the middle or just past the middle of our lives. And that if, you know, we start to care less what other people think about, you know, what we, and I love that about this time of life, you know, listening to people just say their truth and um, not worry so much about how it lands. And, and it feels like pleasure is a key word here in terms of yes. our relationships. Um, and pleasure defining what that is, if I'm right. Even, and not just talking about sexual pleasure, you know, and I think, um, you know, pleasure can come from so many different places. And I would say that um, often problems come up in relationships because, again, men's brains are wired very differently than women. And if you're in partnership with a man, um, for instance, you may want to just come home and you know, talk about what happened that day, but a man's going to take that and feel like he's being asked to fix something. They're a lot more uh, literal about things. And um, so we'd maybe be better off having a glass of wine and a smooth with a girlfriend sometimes if we just want to talk about things, because if often enough a man feels like he's getting this information come to him and there's nothing he can do to fix it, they start to protect more and step back more. Yes. And the same thing goes with pleasure. Our partners usually want us to be having a good time and experience yeah. pleasure when we're together. But if they don't know what to give us and they don't know what we need and we're not telling them, then the experience becomes um, less pleasurable for both people. So I found that generally men love it if a woman tells them what they want, either in bed or elsewhere, because um, then they can go, oh, great, here, let me help you have that. <laughs> and when, when a woman is really in her pleasure, it just spreads out to everywhere. It's a force of nature. And so I, I think we, <laughs> we really should, <laughs> real, uh, you know, see if we can find out what turns us on to the world and it can be any little thing in our culture we're so um we're so encouraged to think about uh pleasure as having more things you know that somehow if we have this thing or look this certain way then life's supposed to be great and we're supposed to feel good about it but you can have pleasure just from feeling the sunshine on your face or the way the fabric of your clothes moves against your body or um, any little thing. And so I think that if we take the time to really investigate what, what really brings me happiness, because most women have put that aside yeah. for the reproductive years, and here's an opportunity to explore that. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And that, that is that, again, that Jungian thread, isn't it? That, you know, we are much more than than the kind of literal or the sexual we are. Mm -hmm. we're, bigger, we're bigger than that. And we have that much opportunity, bigger. don't we, yeah. in yes. this time of life. This is the power of menopause. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Susan, that's been so wonderful. And I, you know, in, we're here encouraging other women to read your book. When does your book come out? 
Uh, the book will be um, launched on February 15th, uh, and you can pre-order now if you're interested. Um, and uh, I, I'll give you my website because then you can see a little bit more about um, the work that I do and the way that I approach it. And I write blogs and blog topics really encourage women if there's something they'd like to hear about um, to let me know so that I can try to make it relevant to what people are looking for. Um, the website is makingsenseofmenopause.com and um, I'm excited. <laughs> well, you should be. You should be. And we will be putting all of that into the show notes. It has oh, been great. Thank you. a pleasure having you on the show, Susan. I love talking to you. And I mean, it felt like we I could have too. had four podcasts on the different aspects. <laughs> well, if welcome to come You want to do it again? <laughs> Let me know. I've really enjoyed talking to you too. Um, that's wonderful. We probably will. Well, listeners, I think that's just been awesome. So check out the show notes because this is a book for every woman. Thank you. Yeah, I I do want to make that point because I've I've heard a couple of women say, "Oh, well, I'm already through that." So this, you know, I don't I don't need that anymore. And I do want to make the point that it's not a how-to book about menopause or a book about um how to handle hot flashes, but can be useful, very useful even to women who have already passed through this because this is a book about the arc of our biological life and a lot of time is spent in the book about what comes next and what this part of our life is about indeed well thank so. you once again it has thank been you wonderful at biltmore fall is more than just the perfect time to experience the grace and grandeur of america's largest home it's also the season to savor an award-winning selection from biltmore's very own winery then linger for an unforgettable evening of locally sourced seasonal cuisine, from simple and satisfying to fine four-star dining. Fall at Biltmore offers something for every taste. Visit now and enjoy a second day free. Learn more at Biltmore.com.